This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. Co-host, Ethan Hamilton. And tonight, in our third to last episode of Season 2, we are looking back at the championship games from last weekend as well as some off-season news. But first, a few housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. So let's start with the biggest offseason headline so far and what I promise you will be the busiest offseason of our lifetimes. And a lot of that has to do with the pandemic, cap casualties, the cap actually decreasing for the first time and probably the only time that we're ever going to remember. But the first piece of news, Tom Brady retires. Let's start with the remembrance portion of it and then looking forward. How do you remember Tom Brady? You know, what really pisses me off is towards the end of his career, he really made me just kind of start to like him. (laughs) I don't know. He just seems like one of those really nice dudes that it would be really fun to have a beer with. And, you know, Tom Brady, you you can't argue, really. I mean, I think he is probably the greatest player to play the game. I don't know if he's the most skilled player to play the game, but you can't argue that he's not the greatest with everything that he's achieved. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I kind of grew to like Tom Brady towards the end of his career because at the beginning I did not. I couldn't stand Tom Brady mm-hmm. and particularly the Patriots early on in the mid two thousands, late two thousands. I really couldn't stand them. I think where it kind of turned around a little bit for me was when they'd lost two Super Bowls in a row and had to make that heroic comeback against the Seahawks with the Malcolm Butler interception. I was really rooting against the Seahawks because if you remember, that was the game right after the Packers. It. We don't talk about it. We don't yes, talk about it. had that epic meltdown. But anyway, I was definitely not rooting for the Seahawks that day. So it was a matter of Tom Brady being the guy I needed to avenge my team. But in every other situation, I was always a Peyton Manning guy. I know most people were not. They always were on the other side of it. They just hated both of them. But I was always the Peyton guy, so I was never going to be a Tom Brady guy. But it's really hard to argue against him being the greatest. I've tried to do it for literally 20 years. The first three Super Bowls weren't his. They were primarily based on defense. He had the greatest coach ever. The amount of defenses that Bill Belichick came up with in Super Bowls. Look at the two Rams Super Bowls that he won. And he couldn't win without Bill Belichick. And then he goes into Lambeau and he beats Aaron Rodgers. And then they completely decimate the Chiefs last year. And I know Brady wasn't necessarily the driving force behind that team. It was a super team that also had him as the great quarterback. That was the missing piece that they weren't going to do with Jameis Winston. But even so, it's really hard to deny over the last couple of years that he is the greatest because he just continued to force you to admit your denial by continuing to accomplish more and more and more. It's the same for me. You know, I, it was defenses like 
Brady always had a top 10 defense, you know, the classic Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady argument. And you can't really argue that anymore. What Tom Brady did, especially with who he did it with sometimes, he didn't always have Randy Moss with him. You know, he didn't always have the great, great wide receivers with him. So he he did it the right way and he did it his way too. And you can't argue that. So congratulations to Tom Brady. Congratulations on a great career. I think that's going to be a hell of a Hall of Fame class because you're going to have him and Ben Roethlisberger and potentially Aaron Rodgers yet, but that decision has yet to be made. I don't know how many other people are really going to be able to share the stage with those three egos, but that's another thing entirely. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, but that leaves a significant hole. We kind of already discussed it a little bit last week as to what the outlook for the NFC South is going to be. I don't know if Bruce Arians is going to be coaching. I would guess that if he steps down, that they go to one of the coordinators, either Leftwich or, and I'm drawing a blank as to their defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, one of those two as being the primary guy to step into that role and kind of rebuild the team. But you've got a roster that still has a lot of talent on it and has the ability, if you find the right quarterback, to at least be competitive and make a run. I don't think that you're the same that you were last year because you're going to have to let a lot of guys go or walk in free agency, and you don't have the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not sure I would say the greatest player in football history. I would make there some other guys I would put up there, the Reggie Whites, the Lawrence Taylors, the Jim Browns, the Jerry Rices, into that conversation as well. But even so, without him in the NFC South, we're going to get to another story from that same division and the rest of the outlook of the NFC, because Jimmy Garoppolo, another story we're going to be talking about in a second is possibly leaving the Niners, or at least is going to be confirmed to leave the Niners. We don't really have any one team besides maybe the Rams that you can point to next year and say, I think they're going to be a playoff team or I can really count on them to be a playoff team. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think the stat or something like that in the NFL, over half the teams that make the playoffs one year don't make it the next. So that's what makes the NFL the best um, the best programming in all of uh, the entire world. Well, I do, now that I think about it, think Dallas would be in a position to potentially get back. They have most of the same pieces there. But do you really count on Dallas to be able to win the conference or really anybody from the NFC East? But we'll get to some coaching carousel here now. Yeah, let's do the coaching carousel first. Let's let's take that. So the former offensive coordinator for the Bills, Brian Dable, takes over as the head coach of the Giants. Then we had Matt Eberflus, the former defensive coordinator for the Colts, taking over the Bears job and also taking the quarterbacks coach for the Packers, Luke Getze, as his offensive coordinator. This is the, the only reason I mentioned this offensive coordinator hire is because this is the only defensive coach so far that has gotten one of the head coaching jobs in this offseason. You had Nathaniel Hackett, who was the offensive coordinator for the Packers, taking the Broncos job. You have Josh McDaniels, the former offensive coordinator for the Patriots, longtime offensive coordinator twice, already been a head coach, but taking over the head coaching job for the Raiders. And the Vikings are likely to hire Kevin O'Connell, the offensive coordinator for the Rams, after the Super Bowl. So of the guys that are going to be running offenses, Most of them have some type of connection to the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur system. You talk about his offensive coordinator, his quarterback's coach, and 
Kevin O'Connell being from the Ram system, all three of them are going to be running zone concept, play action passing type systems for their offense. Brian Dable and Josh McDaniels are former coaches with the Patriots. So that pretty much between the Belichick tree and the Shanahan tree, those seem to be where all of the coaches are coming from currently within the NFL. Now, as far as any of these offenses are concerned, how do you see some of the outlooks of any of these teams? Did they get better? Is it a upgrade for any of the guys on these teams? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know really who did get better. Like a lot of people would argue Josh McDaniels to the Raiders, but the way that they showed love, the Raiders players did when um, Rich, I forget what his last name is, but when their head coach, yeah, when their head, they really loved playing for that dude. And he most definitely righted the ship and got them into the playoffs when a lot of us didn't think that they would make it there. I don't know if Josh McDaniels has that. I don't know if he can control a locker room like that. Is he a good play caller? Yeah, he's a pretty good play caller, but he's also, you know, had pretty good quarterbacks his entire career as well. I don't know, man. Like Derek Carr, he's pretty good, but I know for sure I wouldn't want the Giants job. The Bears job, oh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And I don't think I would have wanted the Broncos job either. There's a lot of pieces, but the one thing you don't have is the most important position on a football team. So I guess if there's one person that I could say, yeah, did great. I guess I'm going to go with the Bears. Brian Dable is a guy that has been floated, and a lot of people were unclear as to why he didn't get a coaching job last year with the Bills turnaround. He put up a second big year as Josh Allen's offensive coordinator. But he's been kind of a guy that's floated around through a lot of different offensive systems, and there's nothing to necessarily point to that says Brian Dable is specifically responsible for Josh Allen becoming possibly the best quarterback in football right now. You're hoping, but he's still got to work with Daniel Jones, who, mind you, hasn't necessarily looked great up to this point. And maybe that is offensive coordinator. Maybe that is head coach. Maybe that's the systems he's been running. And Brian Dable can somehow turn him into something. But we didn't think of or Daniel Jones coming into the draft as a can't-miss prospect kind of in the same way that we talked about the class ahead of him that was the Baker Mayfield, the Sean Darnold, the Josh Allen draft. So I don't know if the talent level is the same, although Allen did incredibly turn around what was one of the worst accuracy ratings to be one of the most accurate quarterbacks all of a sudden within like one offseason. So maybe if he has a magic touch, I mean, the Giants have receivers. They have guys and playmakers all over that team that can make sense. I mean, if he can get something out of Saquon Barkley or somehow make sure that, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the former Lions receiver that's there, Kenny Galladay, if he can make Kenny Galladay stay healthy, I mean, the sky's the limit with the amount of talent that's supposedly on that offense, but they still have the ball being thrown by Daniel Jones. And you already mentioned it. The Bears have Justin Fields, so he's a younger quarterback with some talent who I think showed some promise there, so maybe you'll get some more out of him, but Teddy Bridgewater is an unrestricted free agent, so it's not a promise as to who the Denver quarterback's going to be right now. It doesn't matter who's calling the plays if you don't have anybody to run the offense, and any of the rest of these, I don't necessarily know who all of the quarterbacks are going to be. I mean, is Derek Carr going to be the starter in the Las Vegas Raiders system next year? That's not a guarantee. Uh, is Kirk Cousins going to be back for the Vikings next year? 
I don't know. So there are a lot of question marks as to how all of these quarterbacks are going to go. And there are still at least three jobs that I know of that are still open. Excuse me, four. Jacksonville, Miami, the Saints, and the Texans. So we still have a lot of decisions to be made yet as to what these teams are going to look like, what a lot of coaching staffs are going to look like going forward. I don't know what's going to happen, but I guess I'll put up the question mark. But then again, three seasons ago, I didn't know that Matt LaFleur was going to be necessarily a great hire. I had my question marks on him and that's worked out pretty well. So, yeah, you never truly know, but you know, I'm, I'm just a question for you. If you're, you know, a head coach going in, even the open jobs that are still out there, what would have been your most preferred destination? Is it filled already or is it not? Well, I think the Jacksonville job is intriguing because you did select the number one overall quarterback from last year's class. You have Josh Allen as a talented pass rusher. You're probably going to get the most talented pass rusher in this draft. And two of the most coveted things in football are pass rusher and quarterback. So if you have those pieces around, I mean, you had ETN, you're going to have a lot of draft capital. I think that's the one if you're truly starting from the bottom. Plus, there are no expectations with that job. There's no culture there that you have to live up to. Like there's the Bears, a lot of there's gotta, a lot of money too. There's a lot of money that you have in cap space over there as well. Right. So that could be a very quick and easy turnaround, but it depends on what other quarterback situation you're gonna have. Because it seems like the Giants want to stay with Daniel Jones. It seems like the Dolphins want to stay with Tua. So I don't know what, how great those situations are. And I don't know necessarily how great the Denver position is because we don't know what their quarterback is going to be. We don't know who the quarterback, we don't know who the quarterback for the Texans is going to be. We don't know what we don't know. I mean, you'd like to think that the Vikings are a little bit closer, but they're older and I don't know if that's necessarily a great situation. I think the Bears may be closer because they've got a younger quarterback and they've got some good pieces around him, but they're going to be hamstrung with some cap issues and their defense got depleted over the last couple of years from that great unit that took them to the playoffs in Matt Nagy's first year. So I, I guess if I had to pick, I'd say Jacksonville because it's probably the ones that that's the most bottomed out and that you can completely start over without having to completely start over. <laughs> so then also we kind of mentioned it but Sean Payton retires from the Saints or at least is quitting coaching for one season to take some time off I don't know if it was a matter that he just looked at the Saints situation and didn't think that he could necessarily rebuild that and he looked at it as a long-term project he didn't want to take on uh, I'd be curious to see if he truly does come back to coaching after next year. He says he at least wants to take a year off, but this is one of the premier coaches in the NFL that's walked away and not going to be with a franchise that had become synonymous with winning over the last, I don't know, decade and a half. Yeah. Um, as a saints fan, you gotta be, you gotta be a little upset, but you also had to see the writing on the wall, you know, with the cap number, with no quarterback, with, you know, him being as old as he is, of course he doesn't want to deal with the type of nonsense that, they're eventually going to have to deal with. So I imagine he takes a year off and then he ends up in some place, you know, it would be fitting if he did end up with Dallas. I know that's what everybody's talking about, but you know, I see him ending up with a team like that 
who's, you know, maybe just a coach away or a couple pieces and a coach away. Cause for sure he's not, he's not looking to do a, a rebuild. No, I think he'd be taking over a team that's at least competitive or was a playoff team that doesn't think they can get there with their current coach. So Dallas would probably fit that mold if they come up short in the playoffs again or something to that effect. I think that would be a natural fitting spot, but I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see, I guess the front runner for that job is their current uh, defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, who did take over for, I think the game against the Buccaneers towards the end of the year that they won, but he's also been a head coach before, not to great success. He was terrible with the Raiders, but maybe he's matured. I mean, he's been in that system for a while. And I think an internal hire like that would make sense for them for some level of continuity. They don't want to change too much about their winning formula that they've had for a long time, but I don't know. I I guess the rumored favorite right now for some of these open jobs, I have no idea who the favorite is for Miami, but it sounds like Doug Peterson may get the job for Jacksonville, which I think would be a great hire for them, which is uncharacteristic because they usually shoot themselves in the foot. (laughs) And I guess Josh McCown, the former quarterback journeyman quarterback is supposed to be the favorite for the Texans job. Like, what the fuck? I don't well, know. come on. We know they're not anywhere close to where they want to be, so it's quick and then easy. Then why fire David Culley? You're paying him money to basically do nothing now. That, that makes no <laughs> sense to me, which unfortunately leads me into my next point. We only have one current black head coach in the NFL right now. We only have one other technical minority head coach who happens to be for a team we'll discuss here in a second, and that's Ron Rivera. But it's Mike Tomlin and it's Ron Rivera who happens to be Hispanic. So we got what might be the start of one of the biggest lawsuits in the history of the NFL. Brian Flores sues the NFL over its discriminatory hiring practices. I don't need to take you through all of the stuff. I'm sure you probably read every publication that's had a opinion on it and the evidence that's supposedly there. But if you were not aware, my co-host here is Black. And I am most definitely not. (laughs) But it is something we should at least discuss is the NFL is 70% black or at least minority. And you really only have defensive coaches, maybe some defensive coordinators that are black. You rarely have offensive coordinators that are black. And you have very few, if any, head coaches that are black. And we now have probably some of the fewest that we've had in a long, long time. So I think it's quite obvious that the NFL is discriminatory. I don't think we even need to argue that, but let me give you the floor here for a second. What do you feel about the situation? Um, I'm still kind of digesting it uh, to be completely honest, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes out in the first 48 hours of, of a news story, but it doesn't sound great. And the NFL was very, very, very quick to put out a statement and call it unfounded and all that other stuff. But how could you determine that if you haven't done an investigation yet? You know, and then you got all these other guys coming out like John Elway. And there was another one that came out, too, that was like, I was I was going to stay silent about this, but my integrity and my character and all this other bullshit is coming into question. I don't know. We all kind of questioned why he got fired for being as productive as he was on a team that was so damn terrible, but eventually everything comes to light. Right. And if anything, if the John Gruden stuff 
showed us anything. It showed us how clicky the NFL is, how you really, really, really have to know somebody to, to be successful, especially as a coach in the NFL. I mean, we saw, let's, let's not get crazy, but I mean, we all know how good Kyle Shanahan is uh, as a coach, but we also know he probably got fast tracked a little bit for who his dad is too. And there's a lot of coaches that are, that are like that. You got Lombardi who keeps getting jobs um, when not always doing a great job. But then there's, there's a guy that I see that I think would be excellent coaches. Like you see Aaron Glenn on the sideline calling the defense for uh, what team is it though? Uh, um, so I think the that's the Lions. Coach. Yeah. But you saw how, how, when you watch the Lions, you never saw anybody give up. You know, that has a lot to do with the head coach, but the defense is flying around. I mean, we saw, we watch the Lions twice a year, every year. And they, especially in Detroit, it's always one of those games where it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta bring your hard hat to work because they're going to bring it. And I think he would be an excellent coach someday. And I just don't think these guys are getting the chances, getting the opportunities that a lot of these other guys are going to get, even if it's to terrible teams like the Giants. Like, that's not a head coaching job I want. I think you're set up to fail by taking that job with what's going on right now. There's there's a lot of jobs that are out there that are like that, you know, and then Hugh Jackson just came out and said, you know, he was offered money for losses as well, too. Terrell Austin said he had a sham interview. I think, oh, the Marvin Lewis said he had a sham interview with the – Panthers back in 03. I think there are going to be more and more that are coming out as things continue to evolve. And, and especially with a lot of those guys too, a lot of the guys that did come out and say something are guys that know they don't have another day coaching in the NFL. You know, Hugh, Hugh he's done. Marvin, he's done. Um, Brian Flores, unfortunately now for coming out, you know, he, he will probably be done, but you know, I'm, I'm trying not to jump to in a crazy conclusion, but, it doesn't look good, right? And you honestly, you can tell when somebody's interested in talking to you. You, you can, people can read the room and to walk into an interview and walk out in an interview. I don't know if anybody has like where you're just like, damn, I'm not going to get that job. And you know, it's not for what you did or said or anything. You just feel they already know they got their guy or something like that. Um, it's frustrating and it's, it's, it's annoying. And yeah, I think this is going to be a very, very big story for at least the next year, if not longer. I would imagine it's going to be even longer than that. The curious part is if they ever get to the actual discovery or start taking depositions of people, because I don't think that's a place the NFL has ever been willing to go. And I could see, especially if it's a class action where guys don't have anything to lose, that they really hold out, they do not settle, and this becomes a much bigger issue for the NFL than they could ever imagine. And then poor <laughs> Belichick getting wrapped into it just because he doesn't know how to use a fucking phone. Like that was really the icing on the cake of the whole thing. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not good. It's not good. I think we've all had a moment where we sent a text message to the wrong person and. <laughs> Usually it's innocuous. It's not this bad that you'd get wrapped into a federal civil lawsuit, but, (laughs) but you know how I feel. I've said it many times over the last two years on this program, how fond I am of Brian Flores for taking that team and making them at least a winning football team. Playing with Ryan Fitzpatrick to a tag of Iloa, 
and Jacoby Brissett. Like he's done an amazing job at least turning around a culture that the last winning coach or for consecutive seasons was Dave Wanstead in 2002 and 2003. That's how bad Dolphins football has been. And then you fired that guy because he didn't want to tank, which I think is a big part of this. And a completely separate issue is, does the NFL have a tanking problem if you're paying coaches? I mean, Hugh Jackson confirmed that he got paid, like, what was it, $750,000 to basically lose for the Browns. But The first two years, yeah. Yeah, some ridiculous number, which, again, that's pretty cheap for getting the first overall pick. (laughs) I'm just saying. But also not to collude and tamper with players that are technically on other teams in order to recruit a quarterback. I mean, there's some shady shit that's going to be brought to light by the whole course of this thing that I'm fascinated by. Yeah. It's going to be a fun couple of years. (laughs) All right. Finally. And this is just the fun one I threw in here. The Washington football team has a new name. Absolutely. Drum roll, please. The fucking commanders. Gotta love it. You got it. I'm with you. I think they need to be the commies. You know, people are going to call them that. The Washington commies. I'm telling you, dude, this was an awful name change. And did you see too? Miles Garrett was asked about it like last year or something like that. And he was asked to grade what he gave this name an F. How the are you going to hear that? Knowing he's your franchise. Chase Young. Chase Young. Yeah. Sorry. Knowing he's your franchise um, player. And still, this is terrible. This was absolutely terrible. Self-inflicted wounds. I mean... Absolutely terrible. This is an unforced error as far as I'm concerned. The jerseys look terrible. The name looks terrible. It conveys nothing. It's just some (laughs) placeholder name. It sounds like some PR firm came up with it, and it makes absolutely no sense. It strikes no fear in anyone's heart. I mean... I can't tell if it's worse than the Cleveland Guardians, but it's pretty damn close. If it's not, I mean, yeah, this was this was the worst burn on the internet outside of Dick Butkus saying it's Groundhog's Day. It means the Jets are going to miss the playoffs again. Dude, he's been a hoot on Twitter, by the way. Like, oh, I love the Jets one. I'm like, okay, he did a dig at the Packers again. Sure, fine, but the Jets one, that one got me going because I love Groundhog Day. He should watch himself too, because I think I read he went four and fourteen against the Packers in his career. So it comes from a place of hate, not the rivalry. Oh, I know. We have more championships. <laughs> all I'm, right. I'm fine. We have a winning record against them. It, it's all good. And oh, the owner of his team happens to still, at least for now, reside <laughs> on our team. So, all right, let's move to the divisional round and we'll discuss the games in the order in which they occurred. So that starts with Bengals Chiefs. You turned off the game. At what point did you actually come back and start watching again? I was in and out for a little bit, but actually once you texted me that it got back to where it was, that's when I sat back down in front of the television. So right about the start of the fourth quarter when it was tied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sat and I watched that. I'm I'm a little upset I missed it, but I, I was running around with my family. But man, Joe Joe Burrow, he is he is one guy. But I I guess it's it's more so. We're gonna talk about this later. But man, the Kansas City Chiefs. Listen, we're Packers fans. We've we've seen this type of shit before. 
Um, this wasn't nearly as crazy, but um, I understand the feeling, Chiefs fans, and it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt for a while, for a long while. Oh, you'll never forget it. It, it, <laughs> it never goes away. You'll you'll be what-ifing that game 10, 15 years into the future. There's There's no amount of you're that close to the Super Bowl and you fuck it away that hey, will dude, ever I'm, make up for it. You can win another fans, Super Bowl. It, it fans, you're listening. If you're listening, you're going to think to like, it's fine. You know, our time it's, it's here. Like Patrick Mahomes is our quarterback and all that other stuff. And even if you do win another Super Bowl, you're right. Because it's always what if, but to, as a Packer fan, ain't nothing guaranteed. My friend ain't nothing guaranteed. When you get that close, it doesn't matter. You will always revel in the ones that got away and uh, an 18 point deficit comeback. I mean, it's not the worst one I've ever seen, but it's, it's up there. I mean, the fact that you pissed that away and had every opportunity, I don't know what the hell they were doing, not trying to score the touchdown at the end of the game. Yeah. You were trying to not leave so much time, but you ended up screwing yourself. Like they did not go for the win at all. And then in overtime, just some terrible play calling, but I, I still, for as many opportunities that they, as they had in the course of this game, how did they lose? I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. Really, watching the whole thing, like, how did they lose? <laughs> they just fell apart. Everything that kind of could go wrong did go wrong. And they thought, yep, we won the coin flip. Like, it's, it's over. And there was three stupid play calls. Well, I mean, it's not even like a snowball of things that happened like at the end of the 2014 championship game that it just seemed like a weird momentum of random plays that all happened in the exact right sequence in order for them to win that game. This was one where it was tied going into the fourth quarter. You had multiple drives that you could put together and you still had to kick a 44-yard field goal at the end of the game because Mahomes got sacked twice at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, long what, what are you doing? Too. Yeah, they were long sacks too. I don't know. They they just seem to not have any urgency at the end of the game. And then because they were going to rest on going to overtime, that the worst they could do. But then you've got to go for the kill. And they just never did. I mean, even that touchdown that should have been or the first and goal with 12 seconds left in the f- end of the first half and you ran two just piss poor plays. I, I don't understand it. I mean, that's. I think the Chiefs more lost this game than the Bengals won it, but the Bengals did a good job, at least in the second half, taking away the outsides. And I, I don't know, it's it's going to have to be an adjustment situation for the Chiefs because they went back to being that offense during the middle of the year that we kept asking ourselves, where are the Chiefs? So speaking of going into the offseason, Uh, With how poorly Casey performed at times, both in this game and during the regular season, does this concern you for what they could do long-term with this offense that has been such fantasy gold for the last four or five years? You know, I don't, I don't think so. As long as Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback, you're going to, you're going to get good things, but you know, you kind of got to wonder how long Travis Kelsey kind of hangs on, you know, he's not as, as young as you would have kind of hoped you know, he kind of came on toward later in his career, but you, know, you still got Tyreek Hill. You still have running backs because <laughs> there's so many of them in Kansas City. And you still have Patrick Mahomes. So if you have those those pieces, I think you're still feeling pretty good. 
Well, the triumvirate of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes seems to be breaking down. I think Travis Kelsey is not nearly the player he was even a year ago. He just doesn't seem to be as fast or as elusive, and he's not just the cover two breaker that he had been for previous years where the uh, Chiefs could spread it out five wide and let him work the middle and underneath of the field, and they had a place to go every time that the rest of the routes broke down. But having Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson as the rest of your receivers just isn't doing well because now teams are are blanketing uh, everybody else and daring the Chiefs to run, and they just can't do it with the guys that they have or they're refusing to do it, which was so unlike Andy Reid offenses from before. I mean, even going back to the first year of the Mahomes situation, they still had Kareem Hunt and could run the football and be effective. They've just completely gone away from it like they wanted to run that run-and-shoot offense that Mahomes ran with Texas Tech where you threw the ball 50 to 60 times a game. So I really don't know what this offense is going to be next year, but I do think that they're going to have to make some changes as to how they run their offense. And maybe it has to take away less of the Mahomes gunslinging, rolling out, doing his thing, trying to make magic happen and doing stuff within a more structured scheme that will get them to where they need to go, at least temporarily. So they may have some growing pains trying to do that, but I do think they need to reload the cupboard on offensive weapon and talent. Yeah, I can agree with all of that. There's always a humbling when you lose, especially the way they did lose, but you're right. The Packers started doing well again. I hate to always go back to the Packers, but it's the team that I watch the most. But the Packers, you know, started doing well again once Aaron Rodgers got back into a more structured offense. And going back to the 49er Packer game, I didn't see that structured offense. So, yeah, absolutely. You you reflect, you always self-evaluate. And I think Andy Reid, I think we can both agree that he's a very, very good coach, probably above average. Um, but he's all a famer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm just being an ass. Um, but I, I just think they'll, they'll figure it out. And when you have a quarterback like that, especially with everything that he learned this year, and hopefully he did learn something that it, it isn't always going to be just Madden where you can roll out and just fire, you know, you're going to have to sometimes take what the defense gets, gives you. And going back to Tom Brady as well, that's what made him great. You know, he would he'd always take what the defense gave him and never really too much more. And and you win football games by doing that, by being patient. So I think they just need to slow down a little bit, but I'm not ready to write them off. Are they going to slow down a little bit? Yeah, probably. But I still think Travis Kelsey has an amazing football mind, and that is going to help him still be pretty productive while maybe some of his athleticism wears a little bit. Well, and I thought they had a really great game plan against the Bills. I don't think... Mahomes threw a pass over 20 yards for the entirety of that game. And they were still highly productive and they were going up and down the field. So he was taking what the defense gave him. So I don't know why all of a sudden that was a problem against the Bengals, especially as good as they were in the first half, but they're going to have to come up with some different options to give them as far as offensive playmakers besides that, because Mahomes is still human. I know that's difficult to say for as much as he's accomplished already in his career, but they're going to need to figure out, okay, who's the next big playmaker in this offense? Because I just don't know if I'd be willing in a, in a redraft situation to reach for a Travis Kelsey or a Tyree kill or a Patrick Mahomes next year, because I just don't think that that dominant juggernaut offensive 
team that we saw for the last four or five years is going to be quite the same unless they get somebody else in that can be an elite playmaker and change kind of another guy that you have to focus on with a defensive scheme. All right, 49ers and the Rams. The Rams win this one 20 to 17. Another big comeback. It is only the second time I can remember a team coming back from double digits in the fourth quarter of a championship game. The other one being the infamous 2014 championship game for the NFC. Did more go wrong for the 49ers or go right for the Rams? I think I'm going to say go right for the Rams. That that defense really did hamper the 49ers offense later on um, in the game, especially when they got Jimmy G all wrapped up as well. And he throw that through that errant pick towards the end. So I think the Rams were the better football team as well between the two of them. But I also think they had a little bit more to prove. Well, I think the Rams were the more talented and better team for the majority of the game. And yet we're down 10 points because the 49ers didn't make as many mistakes or really any and the Rams' mistakes had kind of led to them being in that hole. And they figured out a way of avoiding mistakes for the last quarter of that football game and forcing the 49ers into making their own mistakes. So that's what you really needed to overcome, I guess, the Kyle Shanahan jinx that had been on your team that you'd lost six times in a row to him or Sean McVay was 0-6 against him. So I do think that in some ways it's kind of both. Because at the same time, you could go back to the interception that should have been for the 49ers that led to the game tying field goal for the Rams. Or you could go back to the Jalen Ramsey near pick six that was just after that. So there are a lot of things that could have happened in this game. I hate to put it on a team that they lost it more than the other. I don't think this is a situation where it was like Kansas City, who we literally said in the first half of the Kansas City game that that game was over and you turned it off because for all intents and purposes, we felt, okay, 21 to three, they get any points before the half. This isn't anywhere close. And somehow they just kind of kept giving away the game and giving away the game. This one to me was more of a situation where the 49ers found themselves up, but that the Rams just had shot themselves in the foot so far. And if they could just put together enough plays, they could overcome some of what they'd been lacking for the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean, once, Typically, when the Chiefs are up that much, the game is kind of over, you know, especially going up against a team that we thought that the Bengals were. But I think that was part of the Bengals problem, too. I think that they didn't really take them seriously. Uh, they're, they're not the Bills, right? So even when you try your best you to get up like that, I, I don't think they gave it, especially being up as much as they were at halftime. I think, you know, you go into halftime and it's just like, all right, here we go. About to finish this thing off. But I don't know. It was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible loss. Yeah. It's kind of weird that we had two big double digit half or not halftime, but two double digit comeback wins in both of these games. Cause at the beginning of them, you know, that I was very hard set on, it was going to be chiefs 49ers. And it looked like both of those were going to, at, at one time or another in their games, come to fruition. And it just didn't happen. So you're left kind of wondering, because if you were to tell me before this week, this last weekend's games that we were going to get the two teams that we did, I would not have believed it, even though it was one of four possible outcomes. Or excuse me, one of eight. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the Bengals. I, I, I did pick them. You might have <laughs> even picked the Rams. <laughs> Really? I think you might have. 
look at me. Yeah, I probably did because fuck the 49ers, right? I think I did. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes letting hate drive in your heart is uh, it gets you where you want to go. So speaking of the 49ers, <laughs> Jimmy Jim this week confirmed or all but confirmed that the 49ers were helping him to find a trade partner this offseason to a different contender. He wants to go to a team that has a potential of winning. What is the outlook for the 49ers and their offense going into next season with what we assume will be Trey Lance at the helm? They got to feel pretty comfortable, you know, to get rid of the quarterback that they have that took them, you know, a couple plays away from the Super Bowl to move on to the next one. You know, kind of just like how the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes after Alex Smith. You got you got to feel pretty comfortable. I'm not saying Trey Lance is going to be Patrick Mahomes, but they they got to think that he has a pretty decent understanding of the offense so far at this point and especially with his athleticism I think they're pretty intrigued by that as well so what's it going to look like what's the offense going to look like you kind of got to wonder how this affects Debo a little bit in a way you can kind of see him not getting as many carries out of the backfield and then how much chemistry he has with Trey Lance I think that would be the biggest question for me because he was such a huge part of a lot of championship teams this past year in fantasy well they have so many good offensive players in that system I mean Juwan Jennings actually was productive at the end of the year and was a very good player wide receiver for them Brandon Ayuk I think led them for two of those playoff games in receiving George Kittle is still an elite tight end at least when he's healthy Elijah Mitchell had a really good year you said Debo already Kyle Juszczyk is probably the best fullback in football and he's a very versatile weapon So I think they have a lot of guys to build around him. I'm very curious to see what the 49ers will do when they actually are designing an offense that's not for Jimmy Garoppolo, a pocket passer, but rather a concerted run effort Trey Lance and how that's going to make a difference. Because I think they're going to build in a lot more read option. They're going to build in a lot more pistol systems. They're going to build in more deep shot, big play action plays. So I think this is a guy that, if we're going into a redraft situation is going to be on a lot of people's player sleeper lists going into next year's draft, that he's going to be a guy that's probably selected after the top 10 quarterbacks, but could end up winning you your league. But by extension, if they end up running the football more in designed runs for him, I do think that detracts from the actual capacity of the rest of those guys. I don't know what that says about Debo if he's not going to be more of a wide back next year and he returns to more of a traditional wide receiver role. I don't know if the 49ers would completely go away with that given the success that Debo had, but it wouldn't surprise me. Ayuk, does he get enough targets to be a relevant fantasy player? George Kittle, is he going to get enough targets? I mean, usually a good tight end is the best friend of a young quarterback, but you know, I think there are a lot of things to play out. It's exciting because it's a young quarterback that we probably believe in. And I do think this could be very similar to when Lamar Jackson finally had the offense built around him with Baltimore. And they had a full offseason to really integrate him and build an offensive scheme that was developed for his skill set as opposed to a traditional pocket passer. But I just think this has a lot of question marks, but it's intriguing. It's very intriguing. So that takes us to the recap of the playoff fantasy draft so far. So I've already eclipsed my output from last season that I won with, but here are the totals from this last weekend. We don't have to do this. 
Jamar Chase, 14.7. Debo Samuel, 19.8. Tyreek Hill, 17.3. And that was all of your players for last weekend. On the other hand, I had Travis Kelsey for 20.5 points. Cooper Cup for 34.5. Joe Mixon for 13. Eli Mitchell for 8.5. Sony Michelle has gotten me, I think, a combined like eight points in this playoffs. He had 1.7 last weekend. George Kittle with 9.7. Patrick Mahomes with 23.65 and 21 points for Joe Burrow for a total of 132.55 points for last weekend. You only had 51.8. So the current totals are 340.5 points for your team versus 466.35 points for mine. Your only player remaining for the Super Bowl is Jamar Chase. My players remaining are Cooper Cup, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Sony Michelle. I have four going. You have one, and I have a 126 point lead. So, I feel where are we good. going golfing? I feel good, honestly. Um, I think Jamar Chase. He's going to come out. He's going to come out ready. He's got a good head on his shoulders, and I I do think you know early prediction is uh, the Bengals are taking this. So. It's going to be on Jamar Chase's shoulders, and I feel good. So I'm not yeah. ready to concede just yet. Jamar Chase with over 500 yards and six touchdowns in the Super Bowl. I, I can see it. You ever seen Angels in the Outfield? It could happen. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I have not seen that movie in a number of years. Oh, the kid's always going, it could happen. Whatever. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> any final thoughts for the week? I know this is a short one. We're going to leave our Super Bowl preview for next week. And that'll also be a slightly condensed episode. We'll probably have some other news to discuss, but we'll just do a very short Super Bowl preview and then a recap the following week. And that will end season two. But any just final thoughts right now for the week? No, not really. Um, the NFL offseason is shaping out to be a fun one. Absolutely. Um, but no, with no football, I'm going to be um, mostly focused on North Carolina and that other team. Um, so go Carolina. Yeah, I don't like their chances this Saturday, but I certainly won't be rooting for that other team, that's, especially that's in that, that final season, that coach's final season. That, that guy's final season. Yeah. So, <laughs> Although I did hear that Aaron Rodgers is apparently going to the Titans next season because he that, bought some property around Nashville. I, God, I what, heard that what too. bullshit. I mean, this yeah, is the type happen. of crap we're dealing with for the next six weeks. <laughs> It could happen. Good for I'm him. sure it could happen, but <laughs> really, he's going to go to the Titans? No, I don't. Uh, no. No, I don't see it happening. Although, it could. It could happen. No. Yeah, I just don't feel good about it. All right. <laughs> Thank you to all the listeners and Dynasty players out there. We appreciate you. We will be back again next week to discuss the Super Bowl. But until then. Be safe, everybody. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivatefm.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.